What a blessing. And yeah, I jumped the gun a little. But what a blessing. What a privilege it is to honor our great God. What a privilege it is to be in fellowship with Him. To come into the Holy of Holies because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Do you enjoy that fellowship this morning? Do you know that great peace? The blessing that comes with deep fellowship with Christ, with with our Creator God. This morning we look at a subject that hinders, that destroys that fellowship. The state of being in unforgiveness. In Matthew chapter chapter 6, starting at verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we praise you for the gift of forgiveness. We praise you for the power to forgive. We pray for your spirit to direct us if we study this this morning, Father. Direct us through this text. Guide us through our hearts, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Forgiveness. It is a very heavy and a very deep subject, but it is a very rewarding subject when embraced as Christ modeled it. This is the foundational concept of Christianity, yet it is often the most elusive. It is the solution to our greatest need. And this morning, we want to look at what that need is and how forgiveness is the solution for that need. And then we want to look at the journey to the point of forgiveness, total forgiveness. First, the need. Looking at these verses, what are trespasses? The word translated here as trespasses. When you look up the Strong's Dictionary, which goes back to the original language words, in this case the Greek, the basic definition is an unintentional error or willful transgression. If you think of it in the modern context of the word trespass, it means basically being on someone else's property. You can intentionally or unintentionally trespass on someone else's property. We're coming up on hunting season. It happens, doesn't it? The Amplified Version of the Bible uses a lot of adjectives and and uses words to in synonyms to define words. And some more words that it uses in the place of trespass are reckless acts. Yeah, it may have been unintentional, but it was unintentional because you were reckless. You took no care. Then another word, another phrase it uses is willful sins. You knew what you were doing and you did it anyway. Either way, it is sin, reckless or willful. It harms another person or people, and it dishonors God. Sin is what separates man from God. 
in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you. So that he does not hear. And it, speaking of sin, is for that reason mankind's our greatest problem. It separates us from fellowship with Christ, with God. And if not for Christ's sacrifice... It would have separated us for eternity. But if not dealt with in the then and in the now, it will separate us from relationship with God and with our fellow man. Sin dominates the heart and mind of man, if not unchecked. It has contaminated every human being. It is the destructive power that makes us susceptible to disease, illness, and every conceivable form of evil and unhappiness, whether temporal, whether in the current, or eternal, in the everlasting. Death didn't come until man first sinned. And the ultimate effects of sin are death and eternal damnation. And the present effects are misery, dissatisfaction, and guilt. Sin is the common denominator of every crime, every theft, lie, murder, immorality, sickness, and sorrow of mankind. It is at the center of every broken relationship. It is also the moral and spiritual disease for which man has no cure. Sounds pretty dire, doesn't it? There is a solution. What is that solution? Simply, it's forgiveness. The solution for sin is forgiveness. Because man's greatest problem is sin, his greatest need is forgiveness. In its essence, going back to the Greek word, forgiveness is basically to put away. The putting away of the consequences due for sin. And that is what God provides. Though we have been forgiven the ultimate penalty for sin, eternal damnation, as Christians, we need God's constant forgiveness for the sins that we continue to commit. For this reason, we are to pray, forgive us. The words forgive us. But it's not about the words. It's the heart behind the words. We talked about that as we studied the Lord's Prayer. Forgiveness is a central theme of this entire passage in Matthew. It's mentioned six times in eight verses. Believers have experienced once and for all God's judicial forgiveness, which they received, which we we received the moment that we trusted Christ as our Savior. We are no longer condemned, no longer under judgment, no longer destined for hell. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is now therefore no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've heard that verse a lot lately. It's very important for us to grasp that and to understand that. And that is, there is no condemnation if we are truly converted. Remember, if we are being Christians and not acting like Christians. The eternal judge has declared us pardoned, justified, righteous. No one can condemn or bring any charge against God's elect. Romans chapter 8, verses 33 and 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. But that is true. We are saved. We have received salvation. But because we still fall into sin, we frequently require God's gracious forgiveness. This forgiveness, His forgiveness, not just the forgiveness that brings salvation, that work is done. But the forgiveness that maintains relationship with Him and with those around us. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. John here warns believers, speaking to believers, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But John goes on to assure us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, if we are in Christ, if we are true believers, He forgives our sins. And then He cleanses us. He purges us. He lovingly teaches us and helps us to mature. So what does forgiveness look like? What does true forgiveness look like? Well, first of all, a few things that it's not. It's not approving of or excusing the sin of someone else. It's not dismissing it. It's not pardoning, acting like it never happened. That's not what forgiveness is. Sadly, it's also not reconciliation. Forgiveness does not require reconciliation. It de- just because there is no reconciliation does not mean that forgiveness is, complete, is incomplete. You see, reconciliation takes two. It's only possible, true reconciliation is only possible if both sides forgive. And even if there is complete reconciliation, that doesn't mean that the relationship will be as it was before. There's a good possibility that the relationship was built on false pretenses, that it wasn't a healthy relationship and it needed a change. But regardless of the reason, after a hurt and proper forgiveness, it's not likely that the relationship will be as it was before. And that's okay. It's okay. The important thing is forgiveness and finally the reconciliation. Forgiveness is also not forgetting. You say, Kevin, wait a minute. Hebrews chapter 12 says, for I, chapter 8 verse 12 says, I will, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities. And I will remember their sins no more. 
Paul tells us in the love chapter that love keeps no record of wrong. But we know that historical accounts of sin are still there. We remember history, whether it's global, whether it's personal. We do remember history. But when forgiveness is applied and embraced, it's no longer held against the person. For example, there are still records of our financial debts even after we pay them off. But we no longer owe them. They are paid in full. Our sins have been paid in full. But the effects of those sins are still there unless God miraculously heals them, which He does at times. But forgiveness is not necessarily forgetting. Forgiveness is also not a refusal to take the wrong seriously. Forgiveness doesn't mean closing our eyes to someone who could hurt someone else. Sin has consequences. And it must be addressed biblically. It must be addressed through a heart that is turned toward God. Not driven by selfishness or bitterness or undealt with pain. Sin must be addressed, but it must be addressed properly. We'll talk more about that later in Matthew as we get to chapters like Matthew 18. Even in Matthew 7 as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount, Christ gives much instruction on how to deal with those who sin against us. But we'll, go, we'll come back to this then. Forgiveness is the first step. But we don't make it about us. If we confront sin in the midst of unforgiveness, we are heaping sin upon sin. Though the sin may need to be addressed, our sin will not address it properly. It will make it all about us and not about the sin and the dishonor that was brought to God. Forgiveness is also not denying the hurt. It's not pretending that we weren't hurt. Sin hurts. There are people in this room who have received hurts from others sinning against them that are indescribable. Some that many of us don't even know about, I'm sure. That pain is real and is not to be denied. It is not to be ignored. And forgiving someone doesn't dismiss that hurt. That hurt still needs healing. That hurt still needs compassion. And God wants to help you. But if you're hanging on to unforgiveness, that hurt cannot heal. Some things that forgiveness is. It is being aware of what someone has done and still forgiving them. It's choosing to keep no record of wrongs as we've already discussed. It's refusing to punish, to inflict pain in retribution. It's refusing to do that. The Lord says, vengeance is mine. It's not ours because we will not do it in a pure heart. Vengeance is God because He is perfectly pure, perfectly loving. Forgiveness is being merciful. In Luke chapter 6, verse 36, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, <coughs> but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
He didn't wait for us to get straight. He didn't wait for us to get over our sins. He died so we could get straight. He died so we could be delivered from our sin nature. That's his great merciful love. Forgiveness is not blindly trusting the offender. That would be irresponsible. Just because we forgive someone doesn't mean that we should trust them unconditionally. That trust must be earned for our protection and for the protection of those around us. We can question their motives even after we've forgiven them. We can question their leadership even after we've forgiven them. But we do that with improper biblical boundaries. God lays it out through Jesus' words, through Paul's writings, how to deal with conflict, how to deal with disagreements. There are proper ways to do that, and they should be done. There can be corrupt leadership. There can be selfish motives that must be dealt with. But they have to be dealt with through a heart that has embraced forgiveness and not one that is driven by unforgiveness and bitterness and anger and pain. It will not succeed. Forgiveness is not trumpeting to other people what someone did to us. It's not going to someone and did you hear what so-and-so did to me? Can you believe they did that to me? Woe is me. No, that's not forgiveness. That's self-serving. That's gossip. That's backbiting. There may be a case for sharing your pain, your hurt, the sin that was perpetrated against you with someone else. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later this morning. But it has to be done through a heart of forgiveness and surrender to the will of God. We're going to believe that individuals who have perpetrated a sin against us deserve certain consequences. And often they do. Often they do. But sometimes we are called to withhold those consequences for the sake of restoration. In an act of showing them mercy, who in this room was shown greater mercy than to have your sins forgiven and nailed to that cross? That doesn't mean we ignore them all, but we prayerfully ask God how to deal with them, where mercy is to be shown. Forgiveness is hard. Forgiving someone who has willfully lashed out against us, who has willfully destroyed our reputation, who has stolen from us, who has destroyed our property, who has injured our loved ones, forgiving those individuals is not easy. And when we're in the depth of pain, it's even more difficult it can in fact be seemingly impossible to forgive someone who has so obviously in pure evil sinned against us. That unforgiveness breeds bitterness. It gives birth to bitterness in our hearts. 
In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Our bitterness is contagious. Our bitterness can affect the relationships of others with Christ and with other people in their realm of influence, if not dealt with. How do we deal with it then? How do we we get from bitterness to forgiveness? How do we get to forgiveness as Christ modeled it? That's the journey before us when we are faced with sin, when we are faced with being wronged by someone else. The journey is personal and unique, and there's no way that I can cover each situation here this morning. I have some general concepts and truths that I want to give to you this morning to apply, but I encourage you to study yourself, to be in prayer yourself, to be diligent about purging your life of unforgiveness because that unforgiveness is coming at great cost. First of all, we must be converted. We cannot begin a journey to complete forgiveness unless we understand our need for forgiveness. Unless we understand that we are forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Next, we must understand the depth of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness isn't just our actions. Unforgiveness is a heart condition. It begins deep within us. And the fruits of that unforgiveness come out in anger and gossip and attacks and other ways that we lash out at those who we believe have wronged us. It comes directly from our heart. 1 John chapter 3, verse 21 Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. If our heart is not turned toward God, we condemn ourselves. If our heart is not turned toward God, if we refuse the gift of salvation, if we are not truly converted, we are condemned not by God, but by our choice. Sins injure us deeply. And as I said, if not dealt with, they will manifest in sinful ways. One tool, powerful tool we have to to deal with unforgiveness, to deal with our own sin, is prayer. We just talked about the Lord's Prayer. And remember, as we pray, we are to seek to glorify God. For God to change us in whatever way necessary for us to live a life that is honoring and glorifying our Creator. You say, but Kevin, I'm too angry to pray. The hurt is too deep. I can't even think about praying to God. Have you read the Psalms? The psalmists often open their Psalms with confusion, with despair, in complete dismay about not understanding what's happening. God gets that. 
He understands that. He wants us to bring that to him because he wants to help us. Another part of our journey to forgiveness is to forgive God. The big question, why does God allow evil? Why would he allow murderers to run free? Why would he allow drunkards to get behind the wheel? Why would he allow thieves to steal our money? Why would he allow these things? Understand, they grieve him. They are contrary to his nature. He allows them so that we may believe in him and trust him and seek him. Make the choice to follow him. If not confronted with evil, how would I know how great God is? And trust me, I would delight in a world absent of evil. And as we talked about last week, that kingdom is coming here on earth, but it's not here yet. In the meantime, God is there to help us respond, to help us grow, to help us turn to him. Not to help us, let me rephrase that, to empower us because we can't do it under our own strength. When we're sinned against, it brings our sin nature to the surface as iron sharpens iron. Next, in our journey, I encourage you, I exhort you to seek discernment. Were you really wronged like you think you were? Was it actually a misunderstanding and a breakdown in communication? Was it a matter of personal preference that you feel so hurt about? Have you stepped back and looked at the bigger picture? Did this person or persons do what they did to you? Because if they hadn't, it would have come at a greater cost to the greater good. Have you stepped back and looked at the bigger picture, or are you still completely focused on yourself? Seek discernment. Have you truly been sinned against? In many, many cases, you have. And in many cases, you can probably skip that step. Because sin is real. Sin is prevalent, as we've already discussed. Next, don't tackle unforgiveness alone. Seek godly counsel. Not itchy ears of people who you think or you think you know will agree with you and will have a little bash session with you. No, people who you know will point you to God and help you in the midst of your despair, in the midst of your unforgiveness. Share details with them if necessary. But check yourself. Ask yourself, am I sharing this because I want help? Or am I sharing this to trash this other person? If it's possible, the person that, God, that you seek to share with therapeutically would be a word for it. It would be nice if that person was totally uninvolved in the situation in which you were wronged. It would help them be even more objective and to help you more clearly and not for their judgment to be clouded. On our journey, we must also seek truth. 
We are called to unconditionally forgive. It doesn't matter what the circumstance was. It doesn't matter what the sin was. We are called to forgive. Let's look at the examples in Scripture. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You say, yeah, but that's Jesus. He walked on the earth. He was perfect. He never sinned. Let's go to Acts chapter 7, verse 60, for just one more example. And this is the stoning of Stephen. And falling to his knees, he, Stephen, cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. This is the men and women who were killing him. And he asked God not to hold this sin against them. He forgave them. To you, as brothers and sisters in Christ, the message of unconditional forgiveness is woven throughout Scripture. It's there. It's truth. And it's because of what it gives us that God instructs us and calls us to it. But we can't just keep beating people over the head with the truth that they must forgive. You must forgive because the Bible says so. Doing that is like telling a drowning man that he just has to swim. You say, wait, Kevin, it is true. All they have to do is swim, but they can't. And to tell someone who is steeped in unforgiveness and anger and pain does not need you to tell them repeatedly, you have to forgive, you have to forgive, you have to forgive. As brothers and sisters in Christ, when we see someone suffering in the midst of unforgiveness and bitterness, we have to first listen. We have to show them compassion and meet them where they are. Now in doing so, let's don't enable them. Don't get down in the muck and the mire with them and say, yeah, what they did to you was horrible and yeah, they should pay and I'll help you go get them and whatever it takes. Don't go there with them. But listen to them. Acknowledge their pain. Embrace their pain. Instruct them. Point them to the truth. Yes, it is true. Unconditional forgiveness is what is preached. Unconditional forgiveness is what is illustrated in the life of Christ. But point them to it with compassion and mercy and love. Not as something that they just have to bear down and do but it's something that is waiting to pay them indescribable dividends. Speak truth to them, the truth of the gospel. And finally, walk with them. Don't leave them to themselves. Continue to remind them. Continue to let them know that you have a heart of compassion for them. Use your opportunity of a relationship with them to continually walk with them and encourage them. Sometimes, as the focus of someone's unforgiveness, you may have been the perpetrator, whether recklessly or willfully, that sinned against someone. And they may be having a hard time forgiving you. You may possibly be called to call them out on it, to point it out to them. Because it is, their unforgiveness is in fact a sin against you. 
But this is an act that we must be very intentional about. That we must be very diligent about seeking. If you're going to go to that person, you need to continue to own how you wronged them. And you need to go not for the purpose of getting them off your back, but for the purpose of pointing them to God. Remember, your sin, a consequence of your sin, has initiated the state that they're in, the state of bitterness, the state of unforgiveness. So you may very well have a responsibility to help bring them out, but don't condemn them as you do it. Finally, as you go on this journey of forgiveness from unforgiveness, always be alert. It's often, as you go on this process, going to be a two steps forward and one step back time. You'll think you're gaining and then you'll have a setback. You'll have a reminder of how deep the pain was. That person may do something silly that may give you a fear that they're going to relapse. Not silly, sinful. That may awaken your fear that they're going to relapse back into who they were before or what they did before. It's going to happen because they're human just like you are. Be prepared for it. Don't invite it, but be, pre- pre- be prepared for it because we live in an imperfect world. Ultimately, forgiveness is a choice. We may have to make that choice hourly or daily or monthly, but it is a choice. And as we continually make that choice, it will get easier because God is faithful by His grace, to strengthen us, to teach us, to mature us. Well, Kevin, how do I know when I'm there? How do I know when I've reached the point of forgiveness? I've said the words. I said, I forgive this person for what they did to me. I've said them over and over, but I I still struggle. Are you able to bless them? You say, Kevin, what do you mean by bless them? Are you able to speak a blessing upon their lives? Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. That word bless is in that verse. What does it mean? It means to speak well of. Are you able to speak well of the person who perpetrated that wretched sin against you? It also says to seek prosperity for. Are you able to ask God to bless that person, to increase their ministry, to bless their family, to bless their job, to bless their lives? Are you able to speak those blessings upon those people who have perpetrated those wrongs against you? If you are able to do that, you have reached the point of total forgiveness. Are you able to do that to those who have perpetrated sin against you? If not, I encourage you to continue that journey toward forgiveness. You say, no way, Pastor. There's no way I can speak well of that person. There's no way that I can wish well upon them that their life would prosper not after what they did to me. Keep seeking God. 
understand that your inability to bless them is not helping anyone, especially you. This morning, are you struggling with unforgiveness? Are you miserable? Is it hard for you to rest? Are you dissatisfied? Are you recklessly looking for anything to make you happy, to numb the pain, to make the person pay that hurts you? Are you consumed with guilt over these feelings that you don't know what to do with? Do you feel like God doesn't hear your prayers? If you're refusing to forgive, it's sin. And it is separating you from fellowship with God. You say, well, God doesn't seem to be listening. It's because you're not listening to Him. You're not seeking to walk in His very nature. That's why it doesn't seem like He's listening. It's making you miserable to hold on to the bitterness, to hold on to the anger. It's destroying your relationships with other people. It's wreaking havoc in your family. Your children see your unforgiveness and think that's the only way to live, is to hold grudges, to seek retribution, to destroy the lives of those who you have perceived have hurt you. God is offering you the power to forgive. This morning, do you want to forgive? Do you this morning have people who you can't talk to? Who if you see them in a room, you walk as far away from them as you can? Are there people who you can't think about without fighting feelings of anger? Can you not wait to get to the coffee shop so that you can tell others how badly someone has hurt you? Do you have people for lunch who even aren't at your house? We've been there. I've been there. It seems at the time like it's therapeutic to tell someone else what someone did to you and how badly they treated you. You feel better for just a little bit. And then the guilt sets in and the pain gets deeper because you are refusing to forgive. You are wallowing in the pit of unforgiveness. God grieves your broken fellowship. Do you have a long list of people who you think you could never forgive? Are you content to throw relationships on the trash heap and say good riddance? This next statement I make in deep humility. If you are unable, if you have people who you have made a conscious decision not to forgive and you're okay with that, I question your salvation. If you're unable to embrace the power available to you to forgive even the most wretched of sinners, you have not fully embraced the forgiveness that is available to you. This morning, are you around unforgiving people in your life? Do you hear the trash sessions, the tearing down of other people? 
you have an opportunity to speak life into that individual. Not to, deber- not to berate them, to make them feel like a second-class citizen. You have an opportunity to speak life into them and to teach them how their attitude, how their state of unforgiveness is costing them relationship with God. How it is only doing damage and not moving toward reconciliation. You say, but the cost is too high. If I stand up against this, it's overwhelming. To hear the backbiting and the tearing down and the gossip, it's overwhelming to go up against that. I ask you this morning, is your temporary discomfort worth more than their eternal unrest? Is your temporary discomfort with address, in addressing sin worth more than the fact that if they are not truly converted, they will enter a state of eternal unrest when they leave this world? God is a God of restoration. He paid the greatest cost to make it possible. He sent his son from his right hand down to this earth to dwell among us sinners, to live a perfect life, to face persecution, death, and to be resurrected in victory over sin and death for us. He paid that price so that we would have the power to forgive others. Please don't throw that gift away. This morning, I'm going to close us in prayer. And then Norm and Daryl are going to play a song for us. As that song plays again this morning, the altar will be open. And if you want to come forward and have some personal time with God on your knees, come to my right. If you want to come forward and you want someone to pray with you in whatever God is speaking to you about, come to my left, your right, and kneel, and someone will come to be with you and minister to you. But wherever you choose to meet God this morning, invite Him to search your heart, to point out to you any area of your life that is contrary to His nature, that is hindering your fellowship and relationship with fellow believers, with non-believers, and most importantly, with your Creator God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. We praise you for the gift of forgiveness. We praise you, Lord, that because of your Son's sacrifice, because of your sacrifice in sending Him here to earth, we do not face eternal damnation when we surrender our lives, when we commit our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and we put our full faith and trust in that finished work of His shed blood and His broken body. Father, help us each one to search our hearts. God, show us where we in the past have displayed manifestations of unforgiveness. Show in our hearts the issues that weld up into those manifestations. God, cleanse us. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness, Father. God, for your glory and for your honor, because you love us so much that you don't want to leave us in that state of despair, that state of unrest. 
We praise you for that gift, Father. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.